I'm going to read from Matthew 9, if you've got a Bible. If you haven't got one, then help, please help yourself to a Bible from over there. Um, that's what they're there for, for people to be able to just read along. Uh, but before I get to the passage, which is going to be verse 18, um, you'll notice that I've missed out a small section, verse 14 to 17. Um, and to kind of summarize what Jesus says there, um, he says a few bits. Um, but the point of, of those few verses is that Jesus has come, and because Jesus has come, it's something new. So for the people, for the Jewish people, for the people back then, actually the way to God, that it was new. There was a new covenant that the old systems and the old ways of doing things no longer worked. Actually, to connect with God was about connecting with Jesus. And then Matthew goes on to give this story. There's always purpose in the Bible. If you read through the Bible and you see things and you're thinking, that makes no sense. Why is that there? It's not an accident. It's been put there for a reason. And I'm just checking the time so I know how long I'm preaching for. Okay, Matthew 9, verse 18 to 26. If you've got a Bible or you've got it on your phone, please follow along with it. This is what it says. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Great story. Let's just jump straight in. Verses 18 and 19. While Jesus was saying these things, Jesus still talking to the crowds. A ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. Come and lay your hand on her. She will live. And Jesus rose and followed him. We meet a ruler here in Matthew chapter 9. We know from Mark 5 and Luke 8, his name is Jairus. If you're familiar with kind of reading the Bible and you've read some of the other New Testament, you'll know this guy is Jairus. He is a synagogue leader. He's well-respected. He's probably handsome. Uh, he's probably authentic, much like pastors and ministers today. You see what I think you were rolling your eyes. You see where I was going with that. Um, he, he is going to be well-held in the community. People are going to know who Jairus is. Uh, he's going to be respected. Um, and yet we find this man on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And he brings Jesus this news that his daughter is dead. Now, in the other kind of um, Gospels, when he arrives, she's dying, but word is brought that she's, at the time that he's traveled to get there, that actually his daughter has died. His only daughter, we read from uh, other texts, who is 12 years old. And he says, Jesus, my daughter is dead. Come and put your hand on her and she will be healed. When we read the Bible, I think sometimes we've got to put ourselves there. Imagine you're Jairus. Imagine this has happened to you. Your one and only daughter who's 12 with a whole life ahead of her passes away. And you've got a moment there that maybe before then you were kind of screaming out to God. You were saying, God, heal her. There's still time. There's still hope. 
But as her eyes close and she passes away, the temptation might be to, okay, what's done's done, and give up. But I want you to see here that Jairus doesn't give up. Jairus actually knows his daughter is dead at this point and still says, Jesus, come. You can make her live. You can change death and bring life. You know what Jairus has here? Massive faith. Doesn't he? Massive. If you think, if you were Jairus and, you know, I mean, maybe because I've got a daughter, it, oh, it's like a knife in my stomach, this verse now, whereas before it might not have been. Just imagine, and yet he's saying, Jesus, if you come, if you just come, you can change this. He has absolutely massive faith in what Jesus can do. And it just scroll around my thing. Sometimes, and I said this at the start, our Jesus isn't big enough, is he? Sometimes our Jesus might not be big enough. That actually, Jesus here is able to handle everything that the world throws at you. Everything that the world throws at you, he's able to handle and wants us to come to him with. Desires us to come to him to speak to about. The things that are within our control, but also the things that are outside of our control. Whether that's health, whether that's finance, whether that's otherwise, I don't know. Whatever's going on in your life, Jesus wants us to come to him. And he's big enough to handle it. We know that, right? He can handle here, without ruining the story, although I've read it, he brings a little girl back to life. He can transform death into life. And the amazing thing here is, and I love this, there doesn't appear to be, at least it's not been recorded, that there's a conversation that goes on. Jairus comes up and says, Jesus, this has happened to my daughter. Come and lay your hand on her and she'll be well. The next line, Jesus rose and went with his disciples. Almost as if, all right, I'm on it. I'll sort you out. Thank you for coming to me. I, I, I can help you here, Jairus. And so that's what happens. Jesus walks with Jairus. Jesus starts this journey with the ruler. And that's what happens when we come to Christ in faith. We begin a journey with him. That Actually, Jesus starts to walk with us on this life. So whether we come to him in a crisis or not, for the crises and the mountains and the, and, the, and the troughs and the peaks that we hit as we go, Jesus is on the journey of life with us. That's the beauty of one of these verses, that God himself is on a journey with this ruler. A picture of actually that God is on a journey with you. If you've put your trust in Jesus, and maybe you're in the midst of something that is really chaotic, you're in the midst of something that you're really worried about, God is with you. It's the most simple thing, but you know what? It's the most profound thing as well. There's sometimes in the chaos, sometimes in the, in the heat of the moment and in that hard moment, we forget. But here, even in death, there is hope. No evil, no matter how great, can overcome Jesus. We realize that. Not even death. No evil. No evil in this world, and there is some real evil, isn't there, can overcome Jesus. There's no circumstance. Not even death has a hold on him, which means actually if we go to him, we can have hope. And I think these verses as well should underline the the preciousness of life to us. That life is for living, as they say. That we should enjoy the journey that we're on. 
Sure, there's things that are thrown at us that we'd rather not have. But actually, life is to enjoy God and, and then enjoy one another. There's the famous words, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we were created for. And I want to kind of add to that as a part of that is to enjoy the life that he gives to us. The grace of God to create moments, to spend time together. And I was thinking about that, you know, we've all got the work-life kind of work-home, work-church. We've all got these balances that we're trying to strive and hit, aren't we? And there's that, I think it was my, my dad reminding me of it. He says, so often we're living just to work. That's what life is about, just working, instead of actually we're working to live. I think when our eyes close on this life, I'm not going to look back necessarily and go, oh, well, those are the days I paid the bills and I... I did that and I got up at eight and I went to bed at seven because I needed to get up again the next morning and it was the nine to five, Monday to Friday. It's, it's the moments that you spend with one another that you'll remember. And actually, I think the God moments, the kingdom moments are the most important moments. Those moments where you saw God break in in miraculous ways. Those moments where you stretched out in faith and he met you there. They're the things to live for. They're the things to orientate our life around. Actually, we work and we do these things so that we can extend the kingdom of God. That's part of what life is for. That's what we're here for, to support one another and to point people towards Jesus. And I just love that. And I think it's something that we can often miss in this story. I just love that Jesus just goes with Jairus and that they're on a journey together. And then it's rudely interrupted, which if you're ever on a bit of a mission somewhere, if you're ever doing something and you're in the zone... The last thing you want is an interruption, right? Um, it reminded me of um, driving Grace to hospital when we were expecting Elijah. And um, the last thing you want is traffic. The one thing you get is traffic. Um, well, thankfully, I don't live in London because it would be horrendous, I'm sure, or the M25 car park. But Chesterfield, and it just ground to a halt. And what happens here is Jairus' daughter is dead, and they're on a journey together. And this woman rocks up and is like basically demanding of Jesus in his time. I know she does it in a kind of a bit of a sneaky way and grabs his robe from behind and tries not to cause a scene. But she causes one and causes Jesus to stop. And can you just imagine Jairus? He doesn't say anything about it. He doesn't say that he moans. He doesn't say that he's like, come on, love. Do you not know my daughter's at home? I already booked Jesus. What are you doing? You don't get any of that. The only thing I could think of relating is if I'm driving to hospital with Grace and she's expecting Elijah and I see somebody that uh, needs praying for and I just say, just five minutes, Grace. I'm just going to go and pray for this person. Grace would not be happy, I don't think. Or maybe she would. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh on that. Actually, we had loads of time, so it would have been fine if that happened. I'm sure she wasn't in any pain at all. I'm sure it was okay. But actually, we have these opportunities that God kind of curveballs that God gives us. Let, let me just read this. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. And she said to herself, if only I can touch his garment, I'll be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. The urgent mission is interrupted by somebody else somebody else who is also in great need. And I want you to see here that although Jesus is on a mission, and although Jesus has said, I'm going to go to Jairus' house, people are really important to him. 
He doesn't just ignore the woman. He doesn't just carry on. Sorry, I'm busy. I can't deal with this now. I've got my own things going on. Jairus needs me. No, actually, he stops. He stops for the woman. And heals her miraculously. And sometimes, um, we can all do this, can't we? We've all got our own bubble going on and we, we forget about other people. I don't think we do it maliciously. I don't think we do it intentionally, but we can do. And we think, well, this is more urgent than this and we prioritize. Whereas actually what I think this text is trying to get across to us is just people are really important. Church is not about a building. All right, one day I, I hope we get a building. and You know, that's something we'll pursue, but people are more important. What's the point in having a building if there's no people in it? No point is there. Like people will always be more important because people are more important to Jesus. Because it, it it transforms people's lives. And and here there's just this this beautiful scene that Jesus is on this urgent trip to Jairus' daughter, but actually stops for the one. And just to say, like, I know that within this church there's however many of us, and we've all got different needs and different uh, abilities and we're, we're to, um, you know, to be loving one another. And just to say that sometimes maybe as, as leaders or me particularly, you know, I might be slow in getting back to you or maybe I didn't get back to you at all. And I'm sorry about that. You know, that's something that I need to do better, but something that as a church we need to do better in just loving people and actually being able to say, need to just stop and just love people, which is what Jesus does here. Because sometimes I think we can follow out, we can have... The Lord has spoken to us. We're on our plan. We're on our journey. We know where God's taken us. We know we're in the right moment. And then somehow something comes across our path. Something interrupts it. Don't despise that, but actually see it as an opportunity. See the things that God puts in our path as opportunities to show grace, opportunities to show love. I know we've got our, our own plans and our own things that we're doing, but great opportunities to just be a blessing to one another. Because that's what Jesus does here. It might be the very providence of God for us in putting things into our path when we least expect it. We don't know what's around the corner, do we? I don't know what tomorrow will bring but we need to be prepared to serve the Lord in whatever comes across our path. We all have an idea of how we can serve Jesus and how we want to do that, but there might be the odd curveball that's thrown our way, and it's to embrace it when it happens. We know from this parallel, the parallel accounts in Luke and Mark that this woman has spent all of her money on physicians, on doctors. She spent all of it. She's got nothing. She's got no material wealth in order to try and get better and get the pills she needs or the medication she needs to help her. There's nothing that can help her. And she's been suffering with a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, we're not told how old this woman is. What we are told is she's been suffering with this for 12 years. 12 years is a really long time, isn't it? A lot can happen in 12 years. A lot can happen in a week. But a lot can happen in 12 years. And this woman's been suffering with this for 12 years. It's not been nice for her. But also we know that because of the culture in the day, she'd be seen as ceremonially unclean in the eyes of the people. Let me just read this to you. If a woman, this is Leviticus 15. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her purity, all the days of that she shall continue in uncleanness. This has been going on for 12 years. 
That's a long time. And what that means is she's unclean in the eyes of the religious leaders, unclean in the eyes of society. And what those verses in Leviticus 15 go on to say is, anything this lady or a lady like that, anything that they would touch, anything that they would sit on, would become unclean. If you were to touch that person, you would need to go and bathe yourself in order that you weren't made you know, wrong as well in the eyes of the law, and you could be back being clean. And yet this woman has been for 12 years. Because of that, she's alone. Because of that, she's rejected. Because of that, she's not going to have friends and family that spend time with her. She's not had a hug in 12 years. Because no one's going to have touched her. No one's going to even pat her on the back and said, well done. Keep going. We all need a hug sometimes, don't we? Little cuddle. Don't matter who it's from. We all need one. Well, it doesn't matter, doesn't it? But we all need one. Physical affection. Even if it's someone giving you a high five. She wasn't even high-fiving people. She was alone. And suffering is hard, isn't it? But suffering alone... That's the situation that this woman finds herself in. Like Jairus, she's tried everything. And she goes, you know, if I just reach out to Jesus, I don't even need to have a conversation with him. If I can just touch the hem of his clothes, if I can just touch something that's been in contact with him, maybe I'll be made well. Jesus turned and sees her and says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Instantly, because of her faith in Jesus, she's healed. Twelve years in an instant dealt with. Remarkable. You don't look like it's remarkable. I think it's remarkable. And what I love more about this is that the world had forgotten about this woman. The world had just shunned her. The world didn't care for her. She was by herself. She felt alone. And perhaps we might feel alone, or perhaps we are alone, that we haven't got anybody else. And maybe we think like this woman, we're you know, beyond hope, forgotten about. Nobody cares for us. Nobody loves us. But Jesus hasn't forgotten you. Jesus hasn't written us off. Jesus loves you. If only we would stretch out in faith towards him. That's what happens here. She stretches out in faith. If only we would stretch out in faith towards him. And by touching Jesus, it should have made Jesus unclean. You get that? Because Jesus has come into contact with her. It should have made him unclean. But in fact, Jesus cleanses her. And that is a beautiful picture of what happens with us. When we're not Christians, when we've not put our trust in Jesus and we're we've got this picture of we're just dirty and in our rags. And when we come to Jesus and put our trust in him, he gives us life and actually he gives us his righteousness. And there's this beautiful imagery in scripture about we're made white as snow and without blemish and without spot. And we're given his cleanliness. We're given his life. And that's what happens here. There's this exchange that she reaches out in faith and is completely transformed. And that's what Jesus does. We're sinful, we're ragged, we're wretched, and yet we reach out to him and he makes us right with God. He dies for our sin that we might be set free to enjoy God and to enjoy the life that he gives to us. And I just love the way he speaks to her, full of compassion, full of grace, full of love for this woman. 
Look at what he says. Take heart, daughter. Oh, man. Take heart, daughter. Twelve years alone. Twelve years. Take heart, daughter. You know, this is the only instance in Scripture where referring to an individual, Jesus calls them daughter. The only place. He says sons and daughters in other places, but this is the only place in addressing an individual, he says daughter. What does that mean for this woman who's been alone, who's been rejected by everybody, that Jesus says daughter. Jesus calls her, gives her a name, brings her into his family. Maybe she didn't have a dad like Jairus. Jairus is interceding on behalf of his daughter. Maybe this woman's dad isn't there. But she has Jesus, who says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. I just think it's remarkable, really. And that's what happens again, a picture of what happens when we put our trust in Jesus. That when we put our trust in him, when we stretch out to him, he turns around and says, take heart, son. Take heart, daughter. You're part of my family now. Once you were far off, but now you're in my family. Now you're my daughter. Now you're part of something bigger. Now you know you're loved. You've always been loved, but now you know you're loved. Because you're my son. You're my daughter whom I love. Who I would give everything for. In fact, gives his own life for. Upon a cross. And I just want to say this as well, that this woman was alone. And uh, Jairus' daughter had her dad. Now, some of us will be like the woman. Or we might feel like the woman with what's going on in life and the things that we're facing. We have a responsibility to be mothers to one another, to be fathers to one another, to be sons and daughters to one another. We're the people that step in the breach. We're the people that intercede on behalf. We're the people that love and go beyond the call of duty. That's the church. That's why church is family. We're part of a family. We need not ever be alone because we have Jesus and we're brought into a family. That's the beautiful picture of the church. We become part of God's family. God has not forgotten us. Sometimes as well, I think just on a side point here, Jesus has stopped, just imagine your gyrus, Jesus has stopped to minister to someone else and he seems to not be ministering to you anymore. He stopped to see to the needs of this person. Well, what about my daughter? What about my situation? What about my life? We think maybe Jesus has forgotten us. Maybe he's not answering our prayers. I think sometimes in the quiet, we've just got to learn to be patient with God. We've just got to learn to wait on him. Jairus here did well in that I think he knew that Jesus was on the journey with him still. We've just got to do well that even when we've not got answers in the way that we would like, that we do well to know God's still with us. Jesus still travels with me. Oh, Jesus is an answer prayer over there. Praise God, but what's going on in my life? Well, well, praise the Lord anyway. You know, sometimes I think just having Jesus on the journey with us should be enough. Whether he chooses to answer a single prayer of ours, 
the way that we would like in our entire lifetime shouldn't matter. <laughs> it, it should be enough that we have Jesus and that knowledge that actually we have him with us on the journey as we go from all the things that we face in life, that Jesus walks with us in that. Whether we think Jesus is really quiet now or whether he's answered our prayers, we just sometimes got to know that he's with us still. And we read it, don't we? Jesus came to the ruler's house. Jesus did not forget Jairus and his daughter. He didn't forget. He carried on. He's good to his word. Came to the ruler's house, saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, and he said, Go away, for the girl's not dead, but she's sleeping. They laughed at him. The crowd got put outside, probably with a swift boot. And he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. It's really interesting, just as a kind of closing now, but Jesus uses this term sleeping to describe, no, the daughter's not dead, she's sleeping. And when you look at that in Scripture, when, it, when God talks about people falling asleep, it's for people that have put their trust in Jesus. It's for people that are following after him. And what he means is that actually when they close their eyes on this life and they open their, ne- open their eyes again, they see him, that they're with him. That though physically they may die, their soul doesn't. So it's not death, it's as if they were asleep your soul goes to be with him. And um, there's just this amazing picture here of, you know, I was wrestling with this all yesterday uh, evening driving home from Manchester because I was at a wedding. And the, why does Jesus go in? Why does Jesus go into the room? He doesn't have to. He's already in the previous chapter healed from a distance, hasn't he? He doesn't need to go in to bring this girl back to life. But he chooses to. And I think it's we've got that beautiful image of, of no, she's, she's not dead. She's waiting for me. That she was just waiting for Jesus. She was waiting for God to intercept, to take death and bring life. And when we do pass on from this life and we open our eyes, it's going to be a beautiful thing that we see Jesus, the first thing that we see, his face. And actually, that's when life really begins. Some people will say that live your best life now. Well, no, your best life's going to be with Jesus in the future because there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more sin, and you'll be with him forever if you put your trust in Jesus now. And it's just an amazing picture that he goes in, he takes her by the hand, and he picks her up. And he takes death, and he brings life in a remarkable way. And there's these great verses in Romans 12, 12 that I think is a good verse to cling to because you will know your own situations better than I know them and God knows it better than you know it. But I think in all things, there's a couple of things we learn from this passage about persevering and knowing that God goes with us on the journey. But Romans 12, 12, I think is really helpful because I think it keeps us looking to him. It keeps our eyes on the main thing, that whatever we face, whatever we hear, whatever happens in life, even if people laugh at us for taking a stand for Jesus, you see that Jesus says the stuff and the crowds that were supposedly wailing and playing the flute start laughing. Obviously weren't particularly sympathetic and wailing properly, were they? So they start laughing and saying, what are you talking about, you muppet? She's dead, she's been dead for so long. People will laugh at us when we take a stand for Jesus. 
But if we trust him with all that we are, these great verses, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And if it was to sum up this passage, I'd like to sum it up with Romans 12, 12. And you look at the case of the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. You look at the case of the daughter who's brought back to life. It's rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Keep trusting. Keep going. Even when it's quiet, even when it's hard, Jesus walks with you. And you know what? Even though you think you've been neglected, rejected, hated, Jesus loves you. He does. He loves us. I love that when he dies upon a cross, he's, in one sense, he's dying for us at our worst, on your worst day. <laughs> Whatever your worst day is, he still loves you. Whatever your best day is, he still loves you the same. I just think that's remarkable. And I think the takeaway from us is, you know, if you're going to learn a verse, memorize Romans 12.12. 12. To rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, and to be constant in prayer. To stretch out in faith for the things that seem impossible. When the interruptions of life hit you, still stretch out in faith. Keep going. Keep trusting. Because that's what we read here. And Jesus is faithful to the end with both of them.